Welcome to a special edition of the Truth of the Matters podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and I'm here with our special guests. But before we introduce and welcome them inappropriately, let's begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. Now, if you are a first-time listener, we want you to know that the Truth of the Matter is podcast is all about providing an honest, contextual, historized, philosophical, and psychological view of the Bible through the use of hermeneutics while sharing some personal experiences with myself and Daniel. Now, we believe in applying God's word to everyday life. Today, we will praise God for another new testimony that you will hear. We hope after hearing this man of God and his journey that you will be encouraged and uplifted. We hope that you will also see how an encounter with Jesus Christ will guarantee that your life will not be the same. Now, without further ado, we invite our special guest, John German. How are you doing this morning, brother? I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm all right. You know, just trying to enjoy the day. I know yesterday was pretty cold for us. And how about you? Where are you located? Um, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, up in the state of Washington, and, and we've got the cold as well. So it's about 26 degrees right here this morning. So. Yeah, so I guess we're both trying to adjust and, you know, stay warm. You know? Yep. Okay, so here are some information about John German. He was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran who served during the Operation Desert Storm and holds a Master's of Science in Physical Education and Athletics administration from Ohio University. After coaching and teaching for 17 years, John transitioned to a career in fitness industry. John started his own company, the Summit Strength and Conditioning, and was the owner in operation for seven years until COVID-19, the pandemic, hit. Now, John is a fitness director at Five Crest Golf Club in Washington State, where he specializes in golf-specific training. He also continues in his pursuit of a master's of theology at Faith and International University, and is involved in men's discipline in his local church in Totemoc, Washington. He is a member of the club, Spa and Fitness Association, Washington Fitness Alliance, and the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Now, before we dive into John's testimony and a little bit more about how he found Christ on the Two for the Matters podcast, we like to pray first and foremost. So that's what we're going to do right now. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for another day. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. Lord, you are Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the creator of all things, that you are the first and the last and the one who's still to come. Lord, as we enter into today's conversation, discussion, ask that you open up all eyes to see, all ears to hear, all hearts to receive, and all minds to understand what John wants to tell us about his personal testimony and encounter with you. Lord, I pray that his words motivate my audience, that it touches their hearts. Lord, we are guilty by association because John is a child of yours. The Holy Spirit is within him. So I believe that you will speak through him at times today. So I pray that we will listen carefully and learn. Allow us to leave this conversation blessed and with a different perspective about you, Lord, and the impact that you can have on us as individuals and how it can impact the whole body of Christ. And therefore, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, John, tell us a little bit about your childhood. How'd you get started? Was you raised in a Christian home? Yeah, anything that would you say about your experience in the beginning? Yeah, I w there was no, uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, okay. I was baptized, but, that you know, there was no church as I was growing up. Um, I grew up... Uh, I moved to Washington when I was five and um, stayed here for the most until I was out of high school. Um, but my childhood was pretty much a uh, violent home because my dad was an alcoholic, very abusive. Um, I don't have much memory until age 12. Um, the only evidence of Christ that I had um, growing up is when I met with when we would go visit my grandmother um, she would always tell me uh, Johnny God's got something special planned for you and I would just kind of laugh it off because I didn't know who God was or what she was even talking about so what would you say were some of your passions growing up like 
what did you want to be? What are your, what are you? Well, when I, you know, my dad left when I was 12 because uh, there was one night he came in, he was beating my mom. You know, there was a big fight and, you know, I walked down the hallway and, and pulled a knife on him and told him if he didn't stop, he, that I would kill him. And he left that day. So I was 12 years old when my dad left. Um, and so, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that time. It wasn't until my uh, second chance at eighth grade um, where I got involved in sports. So I started playing football um, and uh, started. Then when I got into high school, I uh, did some track and field. I threw shot and disc. And so that was pretty much my passions growing up during high school was those two things. Um, you know, the, the other thing, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. It was my mom and my three brothers. And so I got involved in the drug scene, um, you know, and, and, you know, I don't, it, it was a bad time, but, you know, it was a way to make money. Um, and so I was selling drugs and doing that all the time at, at the same time of, you know, going to high school and playing football. So that was, that was my life pretty much during my high school years. Mm -hmm. So one thing already I see that we have in common is I also play football. What about football? that you love that you gravitated towards well i i hate to say it but it allowed me that release of uh you know all the frustration i had in my personal life so i could go out and hit somebody um and not get in trouble <laughs> and <laughs> so that was that was the first thing that attracted me but then it, you know it became just the the teamwork and, and you know being a part of a team and being part of something bigger than myself you know mm -hmm. and uh you know looking back on it the friendships i mean I have five of my high school teammates. We meet once a month and go play golf, nice. um, you know, so we're still close. And, and, you know, that part of it is, is something that you never lose. I don't think when you play with people like that, because it's, you know, the physical stuff you go through and, uh, you know, you work the sweat and the blood that you go through together. I think it binds you, um, you know, and, it, and I tell people I had harder days on the high school football field than I had in Marine Corps boot camp. Yeah. So, wow. I agree exactly. It's this brotherhood that you have. Cause I know, at least for me, going to college, you know, a lot of people say, "Why won't you join a frat? Or why won't you be part of a society?" I said, "Man, football is that man. You, you, the brotherhood mm -hmm. that you have, the relationships that you do, the sprints, the lifting, that sort of builds a core relationship. And there's no individual that wins. We all go out there, and it takes a team effort. So, I agree with you 100. percent What position, by the way, did you play? I didn't think I asked you that. Um, I was an offensive tackle and a defensive tackle. So I was one of the bigger kids in high school. So, and I started high school at six foot two twenty five. So, wow, he was. What was your bench and max in, in squat? In high school, I got to about two ninety five. I deadlifted five hundred pounds. Wow. Um, but you know, it wasn't. You know, I didn't go to college right out of high school. Um, mm -hmm. I, I played one year of junior college ball because I didn't really have the grades. Because to me. I, High school was a way to, you know, you know, I just played football. That's all I worried about. Back then, you know, this is 1980s, early 80s. There was no grade point average or anything. You just had to pass all your classes. So, you know, if I had all D's, I could still play. Um, mm -hmm. School wasn't important to me. And, you know, I didn't, I graduated with a 1.7 GPA. So I wasn't going to go to college, you know, on a scholarship. So, mm -hmm. Got you. So. How did you get into the space of coaching and why is, why are you so passionate about it? Well, it's, you know, I, as I said, I was selling drugs and stuff in high school and I, and I continued to do that until I was about 23 years old. And I was at a party on New Year's Eve in 1987 and I looked around and I was like, you know, there's got to be something more to life than this. And I got up and I walked out of the party and the next morning I walked into a Marine recruiting office because I was like, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to coach football and I'm going to help kids not do what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, looking back on that, I think that was God acting in my life at that time, even though I didn't know who he was. Um, and so the Marine recruiter said, well, I, you know, I walked in, I said, how fast can you get me out of here? And he said, did you commit a crime? And I said, yes, but I've never been caught. And so, you know, we sat down and talked for a few hours. And then two months later on March 3rd, I was standing in San Diego ready to go through boot camp. So. And mm -hmm. that's where, you know, I went to, I went into the Marines to get money to go to school because I didn't have money to go to school. And mm -hmm. so, you know, four and a half years later, I enrolled in Ohio University, um, started coaching. I actually started coaching while I was in the Marine Corps in California, mm -hmm. uh, coached at a local high school, 
Um, and then we had an eight-man football league on base, and so I coached that team. Um, and then when I got to Ohio University, I found a job at a local high school where I worked on my undergrad, and then I was able to get on at OU as a grad, grad assistant for two years. And so that's where my coaching passion comes from is just, you know, I, I went into it strictly to, you know, try to help people, kids who don't have fathers, kids who, you know, are struggling not to go down that path that I did. So. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a, there's a scripture in Romans eight twenty eight that says all things work together who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. When you look back on the childhood that you have and some of the things your mom went through, what do you think she is now mentally when you look back and some of the things? Do you think it souped, it's it seeded, superseded her benefiting yours, or do you do you do you have any regrets, or do you, like what are some of your thoughts when you look back now that God has brought you out of that situation into a better one? Well, I, yeah, I have I have regrets. I mean, you know, because of you know, I don't I don't like to promote the fact that I was selling drugs, you know, but it was a way to survive mm-hmm. for me at that time. You know, my mom. Um, never knew Christ. Um, she passed away in 2008 and, you know, she wow. carried bitterness and resentment with her for a long, long time. Um, I did, when I moved back up here in 2005, um, I was able to get her to go to church, um, but she wasn't, she, she really never gave up that bitterness, you know, and, and the, the resent from, you know, the abuse that my dad, you know, put on her. And, you know, it's sad, but I understand it too, because it, it because you know, being in her position, I could, I could understand why, but, but she never knew the Lord. So mm. it was tougher for her to do that. Yeah. And what about your father? Have you ever reconnected and had a conversation with him? Yeah, we, when I graduated or when I came back from Okinawa, Japan, after being in the Marines for about a year, I flew over to his house. He lived in Denver at the time and we had, we had visited, you know, while we were in high school and stuff. So I, it wasn't like I didn't have a relationship with him. It just wasn't that good of a relationship. And then when I got up, when I came back from Okinawa, um, I flew over to his house. He didn't know I was coming. I knocked on his door. And when he opened the door, I punched him in the mouth. Mm. And he stood up, wiped the blood off his lip, said, I deserve that. Let's go have a beer and talk. And so we went down to his basement and chatted for a long, long time. And from that day on, we had a relationship. And we, you know, he would call me every Sunday morning up until he passed away in 2003. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was tough when he passed away because the phone call wasn't there every Sunday morning, <laughs> you know, so it was a weird thing, but yes, we did re- reconnect and, you know, I understood a lot of stuff. Um, he, he asked for me to forgive him from what, for what he did. Um, I will say this, my stepmom and him, um, she had a daughter who was addicted to heroin and had a baby and she died on the delivery table. And so now wow. my stepmom and my dad have this infant and they raised him. And, you know, I look at that and my, my dad did such a good job with that kid. And I look at it, you know, I look at that and I was like that my dad was trying to make a means for what he did for the mistakes he made with us. Um, yeah. And so to see that, you know, it's, it's, it was really refreshing as, as we got, as we grew closer. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was nice to see. So, mm-hmm. but I did. Like, he passed away in two thousand three with a heart because uh, of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Now, did he know Christ? Did he get to know Christ? Or you know, I'm not. Sh- you know, he was a believer because my. You know, when I talked about my grandmother, it was his. It was his. His mother. Mm-hmm. Um, he was adopted by them. Um, you know, I think he knew Christ. Um, did he walk perfectly? No, but none of mm-hmm. us walk perfectly. Um, but you know, I don't think he was. He was really focused on his faith too much. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I see what you're saying there. So how how if someone was hearing this story, how would you tell them that this has benefited you? Well, it's just the adversity overcoming all that, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 finally realizing that you don't have to hang on to the shame and guilt of that. You don't have to hang on to, um, you know, the 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 abuse and that type of stuff, and and you don't have to hang on to bitterness, um, because you know it's not your fault. You know, at, at 12 years old, I didn't, you know, that's not my fault. You know, I was a kid. Um, and so, um, but you don't realize that till you, till you get some help and you start looking through the bib, you know, through the Bible and mm-hmm. that type of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, the one regret I had is I wish I would have been introduced to Christ sooner, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So before we dive into, you know, how you, uh, what, what were some of your passages, your favorite books in the Bible? 
let's talk a little bit about your your marine experience like what can you say going through that experience did you meet any you know brothers in christ did you have any experiences within that, that you know your world your world and the way you saw the world was different like speak a little bit about that what did you enjoy about that experience well the marine corps boot camp is where i was first introduced to church and to christ because the drill instructors came in and said you know hey you guys can go to chapel and it's an hour vacation from us and i went wow. sign me up you know because if i can get away from you for an hour a week <laughs> you know yeah. and but you know i i probably sat there and and slept i don't know you know looking back on it because you know i really didn't pay attention because you know again i i had no idea what christ you know who christ was or anything like that um but i think the seed was planted there mm -hmm. um you know i had you know going through boot camp you know they 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 train you to fight in combat you're you know the few the proud um so that that fed right into my ego and my pride and and i just kept doing what john wanted to do um, mm -hmm. and taking care of business. Um, you know, I met a lot of, you know, the, the friends that I have, um, from my lifelong friends from that time and the people I served with, you know, we, we really never talked about Christ, you know, even though mm -hmm. we, you know, could have went to combat and fought, I think it had a, had we gone to combat, um, together, I think it would have been a different situation. You know, I was, I was in the Marine Corps during desert storm, but I stayed here in the United States. I never had mm -hmm. to go over. Um, and so, you know, I never, I was never on the battlefield. So I see. So I mean, if you ever had, if you were ever put in that position, what do you? How did you feel? Were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you tested to the degree you feel like you would be, you would fare well out there? What were your thoughts about potentially well, having to do that? It's a little tougher to talk about because I was never there. But I think mm -hmm. you know, I I would like to say that there would you know the training that I went through prepared me for that, mm -hmm. and I don't think that I would have had uh, any problem with it. Um, because, you know, I knew what to do and, and, you know, you got to rely, it goes back to that football team. You talk about the ultimate team play, you mm -hmm. know, as a, as a Marine Corps, Marine Corps, uh, soldier in, in, you're in a platoon, you know, your life is in your fellow Marines hands and their life's in your hands. And so it's an ultimate team playing thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, with the training that they put us through, you know, I, I, I think I would have done okay and i think i would have come back and you know mm -hmm. luckily desert storm wasn't as bad as afghanistan or iraq we didn't lose a lot of people over there mm -hmm. um, because when we invaded kuwait they were ready to give up because of you know the air force sorties that, that happened so i talked you know a lot of my friends went over there and you know as we crossed into kuwait they were standing there with their arms in the air and surrendering so yeah okay so just you know out of curiosity the push-ups, man, like, <laughs> what's what's the story with that? I mean, like, how many are you expected to do? Like, can you kind of, well, I'm the Marine Corps, we do, yeah. We, we, our physical fitness test is is a three mile run, sit ups, and pull ups. Oh, so okay. um, so we do, <clears throat> and to pass the test with a perfect score, you have to run three miles in under sixteen minutes. You have to do uh, twenty uh, twenty pull ups, and I think a hundred sit ups in a certain amount of time. Um, and, you know, we're tested periodically. The test has now changed from what I understand talking to, you know, Marines that are in right now. Um, I'm not sure exactly how, what it's changed to. I don't mm -hmm. recall that, but, but the test has changed. And when I graduated boot camp, I, I came out with a perfect PFT because I ran three miles and under uh, 1530, you know, I did my 20 pull-ups and I almost broke the San Diego Marine Corps record for sit-ups. So, and the, and they're not mm -hmm. full sit-ups. It's, elbows touch your thighs as you uh -huh. so it's more like a crunch so uh -huh. yeah so as one that doesn't really like pull-ups how'd you get good at them <laughs> um i learned how to kip because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> they allow you to kip uh -huh. um and so they they actually teach you that so uh -huh. you know it's and so that's how i was able to do that um you know now at 59 years old i don't know if i could do you know <laughs> five or six so because mm -hmm. i just i don't like doing pull-ups so you know yeah. the biggest, you know and i don't do up downs or burpees anymore because i did enough of those in boot camp with my life mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> gotcha so and my clients love my my personal training clients like that because some of them don't like doing burpees and i and i tell my clients that i don't have you do anything that i won't do so yeah. okay so speak a little bit about the connection that you have with just doing the personal training versus I guess talk a little bit about the difference between coaching and one-on-one -on -one training. What are the <laughs> tactics? What are some things that you do that you change and you think that the 
actual client would benefit from? Well, coaching and training, it's similar when you look at the weight room um, because you design a program to get somebody to a specific goal physically. Mm-hmm. So that part of it is is pretty similar. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. the the methods that you use and this and the set rep ratios and the weights are going to change depending on the client, um, because you know my client range today ranges from a seventy two year old gentleman down to a fifteen uh, year old junior golfer. So you train those people a little differently. Um, mm-hmm. When I was coaching high school, um, you know I was. I was either an offensive defensive coordinator or the head coach. Plus I ran the weight room. And, you know, when you're in the weight room with your football team, it's, it's your first goal is to how can we build explosive power? How can we build the maximal strength gains and increase speed? So that's what you're working on in the off season. Um, You know, in season it's, it's working with the team of coaches and coming up with the schematics and game plans. And that's what I, that's what I really miss about coaching is, is the chess match. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, coming up with a game plan and looking at the opponent, finding their tendencies and see how you can exploit them and, and doing that. That's what I, that part of the, is what I miss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can truly say I don't miss the parents because <laughs> <laughs> they can be troublesome at times. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So, cause I've always wondered, I, you know, something that I look back, back at now, cause I'm actually a personal trainer too. So we share that in common. The one thing I thought wasn't enough of an emphasis then, but now is the whole flexibility element to it, right? Because I know we do the lifting, but man, as you get old and you don't stretch a lot, man, your flexibility is just terrible, right? right? So, well, I mean, and and where I'm at now, Jonathan, is is I'm at a private golf club, so you know, Mm -hmm. mobility is a key to keep your golf game. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a big part of what I do with, with my clients is mobility and stability and balance, because, you know, we have a golf course, that's very hilly. And Mm -hmm. if if you don't have good balance, you could end up going head over heels if you're, if you're not, you know, Mm -hmm. careful. So, so how'd you get into, I was curious, because actually when I was in Fresno in California, when I was getting my associate's degree, I got into golfing and it's actually not that bad. Now, I mean, if you're having a hard time hitting the ball and then, you know, I've done a lot of the short game, but not the long game and whatnot. But mm-hmm. talk a little bit. How did you even get into golf? Well, I, f- I found golf when I was in Okinawa, Japan. So because wow. Okinawa, yeah. Japan, there's not I mean, it's a it's an island that's 25 miles wide and 75 miles long. So there's not a lot to do there. And there's there's about five military bases over there. Um, so you, you, you got golf, you got scuba diving, you got fitness, and then you got, you know, the Marine Corps and and the drinking and the party. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I didn't want to do too much of that, even though I did a little of it, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's where I was introduced to golf. And I just, I I got hooked because it's a, it's a personal, you know, if you have a competitive personality, you're going to get hooked on golf because you want to do, you know, you want to beat your next score, you know, you want your last score, I should say, you want to beat that, you want to improve on it. You know, and it, and then when you do, you go, okay, I want to get better. And then even when you have a bad day, you go, okay, what can I fix? You know, so it's it's that competitiveness in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been playing since I was 27, but really not focused on it or anything. Um, it wasn't until I got into personal training that I started really looking at it. And um, I I did <clears throat> when I owned my company, to Summit Strength and Conditioning. I did a lot of sports training because that's what I you know that's what I've done all my life. And so. Um, we had the U.S. Open up here in 2015, wow, nice. and I had I had arranged that the professional golfers could use my gym because my gym's about 10 minutes from Chambers Bay, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have Roy McIlroy and Jordan Spieth come into the gym, and so I got to meet them and I talked to their trainers, and you know then then getting the job at Furcrest, you know it just kind of I kind of dwarfed into a golf specific trainer. So. Uh-huh. Got you. Ever met Tiger? No, Tiger didn't uh, come to my gym. I was really kind of wow. depressed because I wanted to meet him. <laughs> um, he ended up going, from what I heard, he ended up going to a 24-hour fitness here locally. And I'm like, why would he go there? You know, because I have a private, I mean, I had a private studio. It was 4,000 square feet. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it would have been good. He wouldn't have had to deal with a lot of people. Um, but I will tell you this, Roy and Jordan were just awesome. Um, they were uh-huh. great, great young men. They have great character. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, they just, it was, it was fun to get to know them and, and sit and chat with them for a while. Nice, man. So it seems to me like uh, just being in the Marine open doors and travel. I mean, were you much of a traveler before that? No, I no. I never left Washington till I 
well, other than to go to see my dad in Colorado or go down to Arkansas to mm-hmm. see my grandmother, um, other than that, you know, I'd never went anywhere. The Marine Corps opened a lot of doors for me, you know, yeah. and then and then going into college football, you know, and and meeting, you know, the coaches and and traveling and going to clinics and that type of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you're a football guy. I'll share this with you real quick. When I when I moved back, I was coaching in Georgia when my dad passed away. So when my mom, I came home for Christmas in 2005 or 2004, and I said, you know, I got to go home. So I went back, told my head coach I was resigning <clears throat> to go back home because my mom was sick. And the drive back from Georgia to Washington, I took a map out and I looked at the map and I said, okay, here's the colleges I want to visit while I'm driving back because they run the similar offense or defense to what I did. And I spent about eight days driving back and I stopped at about six different universities and met with their coaching staff and, you know, talked football with them. And it was one of the best trips I ever had. Wow. Yeah. That so, sounds amazing. Being able yeah. to do that. And okay. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah. Sounds like a blast to me. So <laughs> nah, cause I mean, just being able to, to have conversations with like-minded people who speak the same language almost, you know, you, oh, yeah. you go through yeah. the, the scheduling, the waking up early, right. It's something we both, you know, enjoy. So just being able to go through that, it, it's it's amazing to meet people like like minded in that sort yes, of sir. space. So let's talk a little bit about once you dived in into reading God's word. So what was it having the opportunity to read, and what was the first, I guess, chapter or book that you read? If you remember, well, um, what the when I first started i I actually got involved with uh, fellowship of christian athletes when i went to georgia and so i started getting into that um and you know i really didn't read on a daily basis until i came home um and it wasn't until let's see about 2015 is when i when i met my spiritual mentor scotty kessler and that's when things changed and um the verse that that really stood to me um when I first started was, um, first John, um, or no, not first John, uh, John nine, two and three. Uh And it says, um, his disciples asked him, rabbi who sinned is this man or his parents that he was blind born. And Jesus, Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed through him. And when I read Amen. that, I said, okay, is that why I went through all the stuff I went through, you know, so huh. that the glory of God can be seen through me? And, you know, I started thinking that way. Um, and then I went into a, a Bible study that was studying um, John, and, and that's where it really started to click with me. Uh-huh. Um, but it wasn't until 2016 when I truly gave up control um, is when is when my faith really started to, you know, develop and, and I started to see things differently and I started to see God and I, I started to hear God. Um, and, and that was the game changer. Amen. So, you know, now that you look back over all those experiences and this is how you, I didn't ask you this, but you have any brothers and sisters? I do. I have three brothers. Well, and, mm-hmm. and two of them have passed away. Um, I lost, oh, I lost uh, my second oldest brother I lost 10 years ago um and then this year will be eight years ago I lost my oldest brother and so I have my younger mm -hmm. brother left and that's out of my immediate family he's the only one that's left Mm -hmm. so I've lost my mom my dad and two brothers now do you know if they were fathers of Christ anyone they David my second oldest brother believed and then I'll share this story with you Uh, Mm -hmm. my second oldest my oldest brother was a he, he he was a Darwinist he believed in evolution his whole okay. life, and you know he really didn't believe in Christ. Um, he was in the hospital um, in a coma, and I was working with Scotty Kessler at the time, and so my faith was getting developed, and and you know I was dealing with strongholds that I had. Scotty's a, a deliverance in deliverance ministry as well, and so um, you know I I knew Steve didn't believe, and so I I asked Scotty. I said, you know, I'm he doesn't believe, and so Scotty said, go up and pray the prayer of confession over him and you know just keep praying it he goes but if there's some demonic presence that you're gonna it's gonna smoke it out 
And mm-hmm. so I went up there, I went up to the hospital and I started praying over him. And my brother's a very meek, mild person, didn't raise his voice a lot at all. And so when I started praying for him, um, he woke up out of the coma and he looked at me and he said, get the F out of here mm. in, a, in a very loud voice. And then he went back out unconscious. So I kept praying and he did it again. And the nurse walks in the room and goes, what's going on? And I said, well, are you a believer? And she said, yes. And I said, well, we have some spiritual warfare going on. And she walked out of the room. She didn't want to stay there. Yeah. And so I kept praying over Steve. And then he, wo- he woke up and he said, John, I need to be saved. And so I said, okay, repeat after me. And so we prayed the prayer of confession over. And a couple of days later, I went back up there. And you remember that TV show, AD, that Roman Downey did? Yes. Um, it's about the book of Acts. So he's watching that. And I walk in the room and he's watching it. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I want to know more. Wow. And so, you know, before he passed away, he gave his life to Christ. Amen. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Wow. And, you know, you were the youngest of the of the other two? No, I'm I'm the second youngest. The so second I have one youngest. I have I'm yeah, so I have a younger brother. Um he still lives here up here in Washington. Um, you know, he's he's had some challenges over COVID years. You know, he lost his wife um in twenty sixteen. Or no, oh, wait, man. it'd be six years ago. So he lost his wife six years ago due to, you know, kidney failure, liver failure, because they were heavy into drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. So Wow. Yeah, man, it seems like she's been battling since. since. Oh yeah, it's been, a, <laughs> it's been, it's been a, a battle. It's been a battle. It's been a battle till twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I've asked you this. Are Are you currently married right now? Kids? Wife? No, I'm single. Um, okay. my my first wife. We were together for nine years. <clears throat> we broke up in twenty in two thousand three, mm-hmm. and um, I've been in a couple relationships then since then, but. You know, I'm single right now, so mm-hmm. no kids. I wasn't able to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a when the doctors told me that it that was that that hit pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I look at it now and just you know it's God's plan. For some reason, He didn't want me to have kids, and and mm-hmm. I've been able to accept it and move on. Mm-hmm. So how do you? I know. So what is one of the things that you know inspire you and motivate you to get up every morning to do what you do? Um, you know, it's just, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy coaching people and and improving their fitness and their overall quality of life. Um, you know, I would also have to add, you know, what helps me, you know, get up in the morning is, is my relationship with Christ. Um, you know, cause I'm, I'm up at three, three thirty, three forty five, and that's my prayer and reading time. Um, I've been doing that since, you know, I gave up control and, um, People always ask me, you know, the, how do you make it through a day? And I'm like, well, I give Jesus the time in the morning, so He gives me strength to make it through the day. Amen. Um, and and that's, you know, I have to have that. If I don't, if I miss a day for some reason, I can tell um, my day just doesn't flow as well as it normally does um, because I don't have that that sync, you know, with with Christ in the morning. So. Okay. So when did you get started being in uh, your uh, your your local church and getting involved there? Well, I started that when I, I met a young, I, you know, when I moved back up here, um, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll regress a little bit in the story, I, I moved back up here, and I started noticing a self-destructive behavior that I had for a while. Um, I got into counseling. I started working with my counselor. Um, then I met Scotty. Um, I was actually, uh, or uh, let me regress. I met my yeah. counselor, and I was praying for a Christian woman to come into my life because I wanted yeah. somebody that I could share Christ with and and. God placed Leah in my life and, and, um, we started going to life center here in Tacoma. Um, and that's when I really started getting immersed in the church. You know, I got on the usher crew, started doing some, starting serving at the church. That's where I met Scotty and, and, um, started working with him as a mentor. Um, and Leah and I were together for four years, but then we ended up, uh, ending that relationship because her kids would kids really never accepted me. And so we decided that, you know, it was better that we part ways, which was unfortunate. But the time I spent with her helped me grow in faith and helped me see a lot. Um, you know, I tell people I really didn't understand unconditional love until that time. So. Wow, mm-hmm. wow man. Like I said, just a lot of challenges that you, a lot of hoops you had to go through. And it's kind yes, of unorthodox. Sir. For the average person to do that, and man, look at you today—you're you're, you're thriving, you're, you're successful in the areas that 
you know, you're, you're able to help other people. It seems like you take pride in doing that. And, you know, God has got you in a place where not only have you accepted who you are and the best parts of yourself, but you're, you're thriving to help others do that. And that's the biggest important thing, right? Yeah. And, and Jonathan, I'll tell you that the, the thing that makes that possible, and, and it, I think mm-hmm. it's tougher for men, is, is we have to give up our pride. We have to yeah. become vulnerable and we have to come, we have to come with humility to the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. And the the self examination part of becoming a Christian and having a true relationship with Christ, I think, is the toughest part, because we have to look inside ourselves and see where the darkness is and the mistakes that we made, and we need to forgive ourselves for those mistakes. And I think that's one of the toughest things in our walk. Um, I tell people all the time that I think the crucifixion was used um, because it's a slow and painful death. And I think Jesus wanted to illustrate to us that our old self is going to die slowly and it's going to be a little bit painful too, um, because you're going to have to go back and examine some of the things you did along the way before you were a Christian. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I don't know, are you much of a a gospel listener in any, any songs that hit you that you, that you love? Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot. I, I, I listened, you know, my favorites are, are, uh, Toby Mac, uh, Mercy Me for King of Country, Brian Stevenson, and and all of their music has has helped me do a lot of the stuff. I mean, I'll I'll target Brian Stevenson for example. He's got a song. It's called, um, oh shoot, it just slipped my brain. Um, In the eyes of the storm. And yeah. when I was going through one of the biggest storms of my life, I played that song probably fifteen times a day because it just it let it allowed me to understand that I you know what I was going through and where God was in this storm. Mm-hmm. Um you know Toby Mac has some songs, you know, um Mercy Me um the song Dear Younger Me when it first re- released it really spoke to me. Um and I was able to actually meet Bart Ballard and share testimony with Bart the lead singer. Um and him and I have grown up quite similar paths. Um and I actually used the his Dear Younger Me is the 15th chapter of my book that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I outlined the song and how it spoke to me. And then I write a letter to my dear younger self because, you know, some of the stuff I did as a, at growing up mm-hmm. made me who I am. But there's some things I wish I would have been able to tell myself to change. And yeah. so that was a kind of an interesting letter. And it's kind of, it was kind of cool to do that. And, and that's mm-hmm. how I closed my book. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now that you introduced it, uh, why don't you tell my audience the title of the book? It's uh, Broken and Redeemed, Finding Freedom Through Complete Surrender. And, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in later, but I just, it, that, the ability to, <clears throat> how I met Bart Millard was a true God thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and when things happen like that, I call them God things. And, and Lee and I were still together. Mercy Me was coming to the Seattle area. And so I got online and they had a VIP ticket where, um, you and a guest could come in and they would sing happy birthday. Well, it just happened to be Leah's near Leah's birthday. So I bought this package and then we got to go backstage. So the group that the, one of the warm up acts that sang happy birthday to her, we were talking to them before we went up on stage and they were the worship leaders for James McDonald's church in Chicago. And Lee and I used to listen to that podcast all the time. And so that was like, okay, that's, that's a heck of a, you know, it's not a coincidence. It's a God thing. So I mm-hmm. talked to them and I told them what I wanted to do about meeting Bart. When we went backstage, they introduced me to Bart's manager. And then when Bart came in, manager came over and said, yeah, John, Bart would love to talk to you. And so we sat behind backstage for about 15 minutes, shared testimony. And it was just, it was a blessing and, and unbelievable. And uh, Bart said, yeah, you can use the song as long as I get a copy of your book. And I sent the wow. book to his agent and um, I'm waiting to hear, if, you know, what Bart thinks of the book. So. Oh, so he hasn't even read it yet. He's, he's well, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I haven't heard. He's had it for about a year now, that at least the agent has. So, you know, I'm hoping he got it. And, uh-huh. you know, if, if Bart, you're listening, then let me know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, so what inspired you to write the book? Because I know like, we're going to do a part two after I've taken the time out and, and read it. What can you tell us a little bit about in regards to what, what you know inspired you to write it? 
Yeah, well, that was that was Christina, my counselor in twenty in two thousand fourteen. She should, she told me I should write a book, and and I kind of laughed at her because you know my you know we've shared my story, so it's it's not unique. There's been people that have been through what I've been through. There's been yeah. people that have been through far worse. Um, but when she told me that, I started telling a couple friends, and um, they're like, "Yeah, John, you got to write a book." And so I'm like, "Okay, how am I going to write this book? I failed English in high school. I have dyslexia. I'm a marine." Uh, no writing ability. So I looked for a young lady and I found Tiffany. She worked at our church and she was a writer. And so she helped me outline the book and get me started. And I wrote about five chapters and then it just, you know, something didn't feel right. So I just took the zip drive and I put it on a shelf. And in February of 2019, um, the Holy Spirit in my morning prayer reading, uh, Hebrews 10 36 was one of the verses I read and it says, when you're doing the will of God, you must persevere so you can get what he rewarded. Yeah. And later that morning I was in doing cardio and I was reading in my, one of my favorite authors, uh, AJ Swoboda, his book, his very first book, it's titled messy. Um, and in his book, he was talking about doing the will of God. And he said, no one told him if anybody would read his book, buy his book, he just had to write it. So those two things took place in about an hour. And I went, okay, I get your message. I got to finish my book. <laughs> And so I went on a vacation in, uh, let's see, I got to get the dates right. Yeah, 19. Went on a vacation to, to uh, Panama City, and I said, I, was, I had, it, uh, had it booked already. Um, and I said, I'm going to write two hours every morning. So I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to go out on the deck, sunrise, and over the Gulf of Mexico, and I'm going to write for two hours. And so I did that. And then when I came back from that vacation, I continued to do that every morning. And I finished the book in four weeks. So I had five chapters done. I wrote 14 chapters in five weeks. Um, then I started looking to see how I could publish it. And, and this is a God thing. And this is how when you, when you listen to God and you obey, this, these things that I'm about to tell your, you and your audience, this is what happens when you have obedience. Um, I talked to my spiritual mentor, asked him if he knew any editors in the area. He happened to know a young lady that was, that was in Gig Harbor here real close to me. And she had worked with Scotty in prayer ministry. So as soon as I found that out, I said, this is the lady that's going to edit my book. Um, and so we started working on the editing process. And we get to about April or May of 2019. And she goes, John, she goes, I'm a scout for Morgan James Publishing. They, they'll, they're going to accept your book. We're going to submit wow. it. And I know they'll accept it. Um, September of that year, I got a letter from Morgan James saying I was accepted into their family of authors. Um, February of um, 21 or, tw uh, tw yeah, 21, February 21, I got the first copy of my books and, you know, I did for that to happen that quickly, you know, it, it's, it's, it, there's no way it could have, it couldn't have been anything but God's intervention. So. Yeah. Yeah. I call those divine meetings where you're, yep. you're meeting someone yep. and it's God, you know, putting you in predicaments and, and lining you up with the right people in order for him yep. to, for his glory. So that's, that's amazing, yep. man. <laughs> Because, I, I mean, I, I aspired to write a book at one point, but I found the podcast space to be a bit more convenient, especially with the fact that I'm just like you. I mean, I can write, but the grammar punctuation, I don't know. It's a deficiency in high school. Yep. So, you know, having the ability to speak and to share and or to be heard from any parts of the world, as long as they have internet and they have access to podcasting, that's, that's yeah. one of the things I enjoy. You know, well, so. and that's what that's what I told Arlene. I said when I hand her the manuscript, I said, "Well, you know, I have dyslexia, and, and I'm not really a writer." She goes, "John, you're an author. I'll make you a writer," <laughs> and wow. and that's what she did. And uh -huh. you know, the book is one. The book at uh, Goodreads gave it five star or a four star out of four star review. Um, Literary Titans gave it a five star, five out of five star, and they gave me their Golden Book Award for literary excellence. Uh -huh. And so, you know, I was just, I, you know, I've been humbled. The, the success of the book and um, the impact it's had already. Um, there was a Marine. I don't know who he is. He bought the book off Kindle and his review was that, you know, he bought the book cause he knew he, he saw that I was a Marine and he had been struggling with his faith. And after reading the book, he strengthened his face and faith and brought him back to Christ. Um, and then I had a young lady who was a few years behind me in high school and she saw the book, she read it reached out to me on Facebook and I commented back to her. And then as we started talking, she said that, you know, had she not found the book and read the book when she did and, I, and had I not replied, she, she was on her way to committing suicide. 
and now she's walking in faith. We stay in touch and, you know, it's been about four months and, you know, I check in on her periodically, but her faith walk is stronger than it's ever been before. So the book has had impact and it's, you know, and that's what I really wrote the book for is to, to have that kind of impact. I'm not trying to make any money off of it. I'm just trying to, you know, share my story. So it helps somebody come back to Christ or come to Christ. Yeah, that's so. beautiful. It kind of reminds me of the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. Once that conversation transpired, not only did she go back and share her testimony, but it was encouraged that Jesus could come there. And some mm-hmm. people heard based upon her words and other people heard because now he was there and he was able to share it. Right. Yep. And there's, there's two passages I think about. One is in Galatians 6, 9. It says, do not become weary in doing good for you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And, you know, just having the motivation and inspiration to continue and to t- set, you know, set time aside to can do that. I commend you for that. And I think a lot of us sometimes forget that, man, Jeremiah was a prophet. And as much as he prophesied, no one believed, no one right. repented. So sometimes mm-hmm. doing it is you, you want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's going to come at the price of you're shouting at the rooftops and you're sharing your testimony. And there are going to be some that are going to believe they're going to be some that are going to reject. But the most important thing is that you continue on to share the message and you know faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of god so sometimes that testimony and what you have to say it can be blocked where people will never know and you never know what your testimony can bring in terms of those to the kingdom so i really appreciate that yeah so yeah yeah, it's you've been doing great work i can't read i can't wait to read the book now so i'm definitely inspired (laughs) to check this out and and dive into it so what can you tell my audience in regards to, you know, when you decided to write the book, what can you, what can you say when, you, once you completed it, did you feel a fulfillment? Did you feel like you left some things out? Like what were your thoughts and feelings towards it? Uh, you know, it, I felt like it was, it, cause you know, it was, it was weird cause the finishing it in four weeks, you know, I'd pray before I write and then the words would just come to me. I wouldn't even wow. be thinking, okay. I would just be writing. And, you know, I, I do in, within the book, I quote other authors I, to, who helped me in my faith walk. I quote scripture verses. And I had a couple of people ask me, John, when did you, how did you know where to put those into the text of the book? And I said, it just happened. Yeah. You know, I just, it, you know, I'd be writing and this, and I was like, oh, this verse would be perfect here. Or this quote would be perfect here. And I just add it, um, you know, and, and, and you know, completing the book was, was very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arlen, my editor, um, when I handed her the manuscript, it was 14 chapters. Um, and she said, John, we need a chapter between chapter 12 and, or, or chapter 13 and what was 14, which is now 15. Dear Younger Me is the final chapter. She goes, we need something that can connect that a little bit better. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to do an interview with you about giving up control. And mm-hmm. so she sat down and we did about an hour interview and she took notes. And then the next morning I was, I was doing my, I call it cardio in Christ. So I do my cardio and I listen to worship music and I read. And, and so wow. as I was doing this, um, it, I started reflecting on the interview and I, I started getting ideas. And so I, I text Arlen right then. And I said, send me the raw notes of the interview. I got an idea. And so she texted me the, the notes and I sat down and I wrote about, for about two days, I sent it back to her and she goes, this is perfect. We got a few things we need to clear up. But then, so that became the 14th chapter. And that was really satisfying because, you know, it was, an, it, it, you know, I, I, it was just amazing how it clicked and everything like that. So, yeah. Okay. So before we pray out, is there any way, you know, if one of my audience wants to get in touch with you and they were interested, you have any social media outlets that you or email yeah i have you can find me on facebook either john jarman or i have a broken and redeemed facebook page i also have uh instagram it's john underscore broken and redeemed um i'm on twitter uh under the handle of uh, at broken and redeemed and i also have a website that people can go to and and submit comments or questions or anything like that and it's just it's simply www.brokenredeemed.com so those are those are there so So, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And like I said, I'm looking forward to, you know, diving in and reading the book. 
try to see if I can do it within five weeks. It's an easy it's an easy read. The, the, the thing I think that'll challenge you, Jonathan, is when are you going to answer the questions? Because I have questions at the end of chapter. So, uh, you know, are you going to are you going to do them as you go? Or are you going to wait to go back and reflect on them later? But, uh, uh-huh. you know, the questions are, are designed to challenge where you're at in your faith walk and, and to help you help somebody who's not a Christian into their faith walk. And, uh-huh. and um, I will share this. The last question I ask you to write a letter to your dear, dear younger self to, to, you know, tell him what you would change and what you wouldn't change about your childhood and that type of stuff. So, wow. um, okay. it's, it, but it's, it, from what everybody's told me that they think it's a very easy read. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's a, you know, it, and again, it's, I'm so humbled by it. It's, you know, cause five years ago, if you'd have told me I would have wrote a faith-based book and I'd be preaching the gospel, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> you know, but, but that's yeah. how god works yeah so, <laughs> so one more time what's the title of it again and where broken can people and redeemed uh-huh. okay broken and redeemed finding uh-huh. freedom through complete surrender and and it's available anywhere books are sold so okay um yeah yeah all right i can't wait i think some of the best things is when you when it's engaging like you said questions at the end makes you stop reflect Think about what it is that you're asking and then be constructive and honest with yourself. So I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I'll get you, I'll get you a copy as soon as we get done. I'll get, I'll shoot me your email and I'll send uh-huh. you a PDF version of it. So. Okay. So is there any last words that you want to tell my audience that they can be inspired or motivated by through the experience? The, the thing I would say is, is no matter what you've been through, um, no matter how and I'll use this term dirty you think your life is or anything like that you know that's when Christ will find you um and and don't don't feel you have to clean up before you come to Christ it's it's you know he will clean you and he will change you um and you know no matter what you've been through no matter how shameful or guiltful it is you know find somebody that you can talk to whether it's a spiritual mentor or a counselor and and seek the help um because you know the mental side of shame guilt and resentment is it, it can kill you um and that's why we have suicide um and and yeah. you know people that are depressed and that type of you know don't be afraid to ask for help especially the men in this audience um i think it's tougher for men because we're supposed to be you know the tough guys um and you know become yeah. vulnerable and, and, and ask for help that would be the biggest thing don't be afraid to ask for help amen i agree if you do the honesty you praise out Yes, sir. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for this connection and and this just this conversation, Father. I hope this conversation touches someone. You know who this audience is, and, and we just ask that um, you bless this audience. You bless Jonathan and keep him going. And we just uh, we can't thank you enough for who you are and what you've done in our lives, Father. And we just uh, <clears throat> ask that everybody in this audience keep you and in their forefront um and fix their eyes on you um we just thank you so much in your name amen amen